Hi, I'm Talia and I am the host of Compassionate Conversations podcast series two. In series two, we will hear from inspiring people who work for and with young people. Each episode is designed to share ways of empowering the next generation to ensure they have the tools to go on to have mentally healthy futures. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media, Single Parents Wellbeing. In this episode, my special guest speaker today is Dr. Michaela James. She is a child health and physical activity research officer. Michaela James is incredibly empowering and uses her research and passions to get young people excited about being active. We will find out exactly what she does and find out how she empowers young people to not only be active, but to become the leaders they were born to be. Hi, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I am very excited about this conversation. We both seem to have a lot in common, even just from that initial just chatting, getting to know each other. Yeah, absolutely. There was, yeah, lots of good vibes. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Oh, good. So let's get started. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Dr. Michaela James. I'm a research officer at Swansea University. Yeah, so I live in Swansea. I love living in Swansea. Loads of beaches, loads of beautiful countryside. It's like my favorite thing ever. So yeah, absolutely love it here. We've got a dog. We're outside a lot, you know, going in the sea, all that sort of stuff. So this place is perfect, really. So so yeah, so I moved here in... Oh my goodness. I moved here like must've been like seven or eight years ago now. I keep saying six years, but I've been saying six years for years. So it must be longer <laughs> than six years now. So yeah. So I'm initially, I'm originally from Herefordshire, but I went to uni in Bath and then in Bath, I met my boyfriend and then he was from Swansea. So we made the decision that I wasn't going to pull him to rural England. I was going to move to Swansea. So yeah. So I ended up moving to Swansea and then So I got a job. So basically, just like to give a bit of an overview, my whole life I've been working in physical activity or playing some level of sport. So in terms of like physical activity, I've been like coaching, mentoring, delivering stuff, like you name it. And I've most likely done it in terms of physical activity. So yeah, so went to Union Bath, studied sport, played a lot of sport. And then once I graduated, made the decision to move to Swansea and then I moved to Swansea and I was a fitness instructor for three years. So yeah, I worked in a local gym in Swansea and I was doing fitness instructing and whipped my way up to being a GP referral specialist within that role. And then while I was in that role, I was like, oh, I'm going to look, I want to go more down the public health route of this. So I started a master's in Swansea uni. And then basically this is where like the research officer role and all this sort of stuff comes up. So yeah, I think the next question might talk about my role. So I didn't want to (laughs) like, didn't want to like talk loads about it now, but yeah. So that's kind of how I've ended up here and how I've ended up in my current role. Yeah. That's actually so good hearing the whole backstory of it, how it isn't just a random, like, I don't know, in your twenties, you figured out that that's what you wanted, how it has literally, it sounds like it's just been one of those like stepping stones of like, it's just, you know, over the years continued. You say that, but <laughs> you say that. And I'm like, oh yeah, it does. But like, it makes sense how I'm here. But, you know, I've gone from, so I always thought I was going to be a PE teacher. Like when I was in school, like that was, I was like, oh, so everything's going to line up for me to do my PGC and I'm going to go teach PE. And then I had like five or six different offshoots of that. And then never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd end up 
researching physical activity and like doing a PhD and all that sort of stuff. It feels like that part of it, I've kind of just stumbled upon and in the best way possible, stumbled upon it. And I feel like now it makes so much sense that I'm here and I'm doing this, but you know, like being a young person, I think you're told to pick one career and then you've got to pursue that one career. And then you're like, oh, okay. And when you do sport and physical activity, you're very much like pigeonholed into different careers. So you're like, oh, okay. So if you're sporty, be a PE teacher, be a coach. So then you start like thinking that this is what you're going to do. And then certain things will come up and you'll be like, oh, I'm not sure that's what I want to do. And then, yeah. So yeah, so I started doing the fitness instructor in a gym and I loved that. I loved working with people. I love like facilitating change. I love empowering people and like trying to like advocate for what they want in that setting and things like that. So it kind of makes loads of sense then why I pursued like the public health route. And now in my role, I spend a lot of time empowering and trying to give people a voice and all sorts. So yeah, even though it seems like it's been a very clear cut (laughs) route, there has been a lot of like little things that have deviated from certain goals and things like that. But when I look back, I'm really glad that I allowed that flexibility. And I'm really lucky to have people around me that have been like, oh, just do what you want. Like, it's fine. Like, don't worry about having everything figured out. So yeah, like when I talk about this and I talk about like how I got to be doing a PhD, a lot of the time I'm like, oh, don't worry about having it all figured out. Like things will happen. And if they don't happen, it's not failure. It's just, you know, it's a lesson. And then like work up to start again, basically. But, you know, where you're at is exactly where you need to be. So yeah. yeah. That's so good because I definitely also felt that pressure and just that I almost needed to have it all figured out straight away. And I don't know, it's quite intimidating having that. I don't know. I don't feel like anyone like says it like that, but you definitely can feel it. And that's what makes the decisions like so much more like pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're in school as well, like there's only like, this is my memory now. It might be different because I have left school like like over, I don't want to like say because I'm always like, oh, I'm old. But like over 10 years ago now, I left school. But I feel like when I remember it, there was like only like 10 jobs that they discussed. And then you're like, well, I have to pick one of these 10 jobs. (laughs) And then the reality is like, when you start exploring things, you're like, oh, there's so many other things I can do. And, you know, all of my strengths will like lend themselves to a different thing that I didn't think existed. So yeah, it's definitely like a level of exploration and like trying to figure out what works for you. And yeah, you know, that like not feeling like you're being forced into something, but yeah, it's really easy though. Like, as in like, there's a lot of pressure for you to think you've got it all figured out by 16. (laughs) Yeah. There's a question that I'm itching to ask you before we fully go into exploring your role and everything that you do, because you, you did a PhD or are you still doing it? I've done it. Yeah. I finished it. I completed March last year. Oh, that's so amazing. And your job is currently like doing a lot of research. Yeah. How do you bring like activity, like physical activity still into your life now? Because obviously in the past you're super like active with everything and now you're still exploring that, but in a much more, you know, academic way. Do you still stay really active? Yeah, I think so. My boyfriend says that I make him feel really tired all the time because <laughs> I'm like constantly doing something. Yeah. So outside of my role, I still coach, which is actually really funny. When I was thinking about your questions that you asked me, I remember, right. So I wrote down like, oh, I was a fitness instructor for three years. And I reflected on that period of time. And I remember leaving that job and being like, okay, this is it. I'm done with coaching. Like I'm done. You know, like I've spent 10, 
nearly 15 years of my life, like coaching, whether that's like sport, like doing rugby coaching, football coaching, netball coaching, or whether that's in like a fitness space. I remember being like, I think my time is up on this and yeah, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then no joke, six months later, (laughs) someone presented me with the opportunity to start again. And I was like, do you know what? I just miss it so much. (laughs) So I also, so yeah, so I have my role and then outside is like a bit of a hobby. I coach functional fitness basically. So I coach two early morning classes and I coach in the evening. Yeah. So I'm physically active in that way in terms of coaching and helping people. I also like prioritize a lot of my fitness. I think for me, like being active is really good for my health and well-being. And, you know, we were talking before we started kind of recording about, you know, working from home and how it works for some people and how it doesn't work for some people. But for me, being able to like factor in time to train and to go for walks and to be outside is so important for me. And I feel like working from home gives me that flexibility to do that. So like I can still train in the morning and be at my desk by eight and I haven't cut into any work time, you know? So yeah. So in terms of like keeping active, yeah, it's just so embedded in my life now that I would find it very difficult to remove. We've got a dog. We've got a, he's a German shepherd cross spaniel. So he keeps us on our toes so much. He's so energetic. So we have to take him out for a walk. Yeah. And then you know, all of our kind of lives are centered around, you know, walking and going exploring. And yeah, we're in such a beautiful place in the world, like being in Swansea, that it's really easy to like go out for hours and just explore the coastline. And yeah, so yeah, I guess that's how I, how I stay active. But yeah, my boyfriend's like, have you stopped today? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> that's so funny. Do you know what? I actually feel very proud of myself because this morning I went for like my first run in I don't even know how long (laughs) and I feel like it's nice something in my conscious mind I feel like maybe knew I was going to be having like this in-depth conversation with you about being oh my goodness I love this (laughs) and I was the first first day that I'm like yeah today's the day for the run (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing I love it your body was like I'm manifesting that you're gonna want to go and be active after this that's so funny and it's it's gonna help me with the like boost that I needed to like you know do it tomorrow as well (laughs) yeah I think with physical activity like it's really easy to overcomplicate it and I'll talk like I think I'll touch on this a bit later when I talk about some of the projects I've worked on like it's really easy to overcomplicate moving and we think that like the gold standard is sport so a lot of the time we look to like it being this really vigorous activity that we have to get really hot and sweaty and be uncomfortable doing it and for a lot of people that's like not what they want to do especially like if you're working for example you know like going on your lunchtime getting really red and sweaty and then having to come back in and like sit in a suit or whatever just doesn't work but like the reality is is that being active is just like walking and being outside and just doing something like just moving in some way just standing up from your desk is like a form of activity so yeah I think it's really easy to like overcomplicate it you just got to find what works for you at what time so yeah like for you like running in the morning is perfect so yeah hold on to that and be like oh yeah like that's the thing I need to do and you know you don't have to do it seven days a week for it to work you can do it you know a few times a week but yeah I think that that's something that we all tend to do is be like how can I overcomplicate this really really simple thing (laughs) yeah that's so true that's a good reminder So let's go into your role. Can you tell us, yeah, what that looks like day in, day out? Yeah, of course. So I'm a research officer. So 
like I was saying, so when I was a fitness instructor, I started doing a master's. So I was doing a master's at Swansea University in public health and health promotion. And I got to the end of that and I saw a job advertising Swansea Uni that was a support role for a physical activity intervention. So I was like, okay, I'm going to apply for that. And then, yeah, I'm just going to, it's just a stepping stone in the right direction. Obviously, I feel really passionate about this. Like, let's just see where it takes me. So I applied for the role and I got it. So I was now supporting the intervention. So essentially I was like the, so someone else was leading the research and I was assisting in the delivery of the intervention. So that's how I started. And then fortunately, but unfortunately, it's depending on how you look at it. The person that was managing the trial was like, okay, I'm going to relocate back to where I'm from at home. So there was a job opening up. And then my boss thought of me and put me forward to start managing this trial, which was huge. It was a huge step and it was incredibly daunting and overwhelming. But I was like, clearly my boss thinks I'm capable. So I'll step up to the mark. So yeah, I stepped into this role and yeah, I became initially a research assistant. So that's like, basically you can manage trials and things like that, but yeah. And then now I recently, well, in the last 12 months, I got promoted to research officer because I'm leading lots of different projects and lots of different people now. So, so yeah, so that's my current role day to day. It changes. It varies massively. So for example, today I'm recording this amazing podcast with you tomorrow. I might be like doing lots of writing, like putting together some grants or doing some papers. A lot of it is desk-based, especially now, like with the pandemic coming out the other side of that, a lot of stuff has become really virtual and digital. And we used to do a lot with schools, but like school settings and COVID still trying to be quite protective over that. So, and we've just learned that we can do a lot of it online anyway. So yeah. So day to day, it's mostly desk based, but yeah, changes all the time, which is why I think I love it. Like one day I could be doing this. One day I could be talking and presenting at a conference. The next day I could be writing a paper. The next day after that, I could be having like a steering group meeting with like young people. You know, it's just, it's so varies in terms of like what I do day to day. Do you thrive off variety in your work? I think in terms of like my, yeah, I think I thrive off that. I'm very routine in terms of like, because I do so much, I have to be really organized. But I like the fact that between the hours of like eight and five every day, it could be something different, you know, like I could be, yeah, like I said, like doing a variety of tasks. And I like that that changes. And I like that I have to talk in a really academic way one day. And then the next day I can just talk like myself. <laughs> and yeah, I think, I think that because I have so much routine, I think in within that routine, having that variety, like really definitely helps my brain. <laughs> Yeah, that's so good. And can you tell me a bit about your steering group? Did you set that up or is that something that you came and joined and yeah. So like when I'm talking about like steering group, so we don't have like a central one, if that makes sense. We just have like a variety of ones and often we set them up as and when we need them. So for example, with Active, we had like a regular group. They were called peer mentors. So they were young people that were, well, there were 10 of them in each school and they kind of acted like an advisory board or like a steering group. So when that project was live, we'd have them quite frequently. We'd have them once every three to four months, I think. And we'd sit down with young people. I also manage like a primary school network. And within that, we have a steering group of, you know, teachers and organizations and things like that. So yeah, the most recent one we've had is with, organizations who you know local council other academics and things like that where we talk about the direction of research and we can kind of collaborate and contribute all our areas of expertise to make it the most impactful that we can but yeah we kind of with the steering group stuff we kind of set them up as and when we need them depending on the needs of the research and depending on the needs of the people that we're working with so we don't have one that's set up all the time but yeah we set them up 
as and when we need them really yeah and just out of interest because we're also like engaging with lots of young people and we want to just empower them of just making sure like they know that they're what they say actually matters like how have you found engaging with young people and just getting them along to something like that because obviously they're giving up their time Mm -hmm. unless it's taken out of school time I don't know like what incentives are there or have you found it quite easy to just get people in board with the steering groups it is a really good question because the answer is yes and no (laughs) so I find with the school setting you know pre-pandemic it was relatively straightforward in terms of like you would ask a teacher as long as you're working with young people that aren't in exam years for example as long as you're working with young people who don't have like academic priorities essentially so for example like any work with year eight it gets the green light all the time because they're in like a year that they don't have any exams you know, year nine is another exam year. So you can work with them quite frequently. So we active was all with year eight and then eventually the, the start of year nine. So that's like 13 to 14 year olds. And yeah, we, I found that it was super easy to go in and facilitate conversations with that age and going into the school setting just meant they were there all the time. And for them, they love it because more often than not, they're missing something. <laughs> sounds awful, yeah. but they're missing a subject they might not necessarily like. Or for them, it just changes that daily routine of the school structure. So their incentive is not being in what they normally would be in, basically. Yeah. So in that setting, it was really straightforward. I think post-pandemic, it's become a little bit more difficult. So yeah, trying to contact young people and like have young people involved in stuff you kind of have this expectation that they'll come to you. And actually the reality of that is that you need to go meet them. So they're not just going to appear at the university door and be like, yeah, can I be a part of a steering group? Like you've got to facilitate ways that help them. So I've had really good experiences of involving young people, but then I think this side of the pandemic, it's just been a little bit more difficult to facilitate that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Sorry, I got off track from our <laughs> so interested. So why is it so important for young people to stay active? Okay, so I said okay and took a deep breath because I just, there's a lot. <laughs> so aside from like the really well-known like physiological benefits of being active. So, you know, better heart health, stronger bones, all that sort of stuff that I could talk about. You know, we all know why it's really good. You know, the preventing like non-communicable diseases, things like that, you know, it's really good for your mental health and well-being, especially if you find something that you love. And when I was talking earlier about like not overcomplicating physical activity, it's like if you find that thing that is like, oh, I love moving in this way, you know, for some young people that's skateboarding, for some young people that's climbing, you know, there's loads of different ways we can explore physical activity. Mm-hmm. If you find something that works for you, then it improves your mental health so massively because you're doing something that's for you. And yeah, it gives you a sense of worthwhile and value and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, aside from that, you know, I think being active when you're younger is such a good preventative measure. I think we spend a lot of time now being super reactive to stuff that happens in adulthood. So, you know, we talk about things like diabetes and cardiovascular disease and, you know, certain types of cancer and all this sort of stuff. And having like a generation of people that their mental health is suffering more now, you know, seeing those like downward trends, even like being able to track those downward trends in mental health to 
adolescence now, which is like incredibly terrifying. But being able to take a preventative measure to that and getting young people active in any way, shape or form so that it prevents that and not having to like react to it in later life. And also it just generates like a lifelong love of being active. If you can do it in such a positive way that again, like sets their souls on fire and they love it, then you're going to have that lifelong love of it. What I see all the time in like my coaching role outside my research role is that you'll have adults come to you when they're like 45 and be like, this is the first time I'm setting foot in a gym because I hated PE. I hated sport. And that's still on my mind at this age. So, you know, just having like such positive experiences that instill like a love of it from the start. I think play is a really overlooked thing and how important play is to young people you know, I'll talk like when I talk about my research, like play is such a big part of that because allowing young people to play, but also like teenagers to play, it gives them like, they can navigate the world. They learn stuff. They learn how to socialize. They learn how so many skills just through like what we think is messing about. And it's not messing about at all, but being given the space to play, even when you're like 25, so important, but like just not stigmatizing activity, but yeah, like the benefits of activity outweigh the benefits of anything and it's free (laughs) yeah it's free it's super accessible it does appeal to everyone if you find the right thing so yeah like just aside from what it does in terms of your physical health I think the benefits for your mental health and well-being are huge so that's why it's so important for young people to be active yeah that's so amazing I'm just feeling more and more inspired as you speak. Ah, thank you. <laughs> and, like, and even just thinking, I'm like, oh, like, what kind of things did I love when I was younger? And like, seeing if I can, like, you know, go back into those things rather than just like, you know, trying to go to the gym or just doing those things, which is still good. But yeah, absolutely. I still actually swimming is something that I loved. I used to love swimming and we had galas and getting competitive, nice. like lane swimming and yeah turning it into that like fun aspect of it which I loved yeah absolutely but like you were talking about like trying to go in the sea more and stuff and like you can go swim in the sea and like do a couple of like I don't know like lengths of the sea not actual lengths of the sea you could be there for a while but like just going in the sea and just having a paddle is like even though it doesn't feel as formal as like going to a pool and doing that it's such a good benefit and like there are also the benefits of being in cold water you know all this sort of stuff so so yeah just doing it (laughs) basically yeah so you've already spoke a bit about your project but could you give us yeah an overview of your project and what you hope to achieve and discover from them So I've touched on Active. So Active was a project when I first started my research officer role. So to give you a more like idea of how that worked. So it was a physical activity intervention for teenagers. So we gave them, so basically it was co-produced. So we, my boss did focus groups before I started. And basically the young people in that focus group said that accessibility was like the number one barrier to them being active. So we took what they were saying and we developed it into a pilot study, which eventually got funded into like a much bigger randomized control trial with over a thousand teenagers. So the idea of that was to overcome accessibility barriers. The one thing that we did was give teenagers monetary like vouchers. So basically they could go and spend those vouchers they gave them every month they could go spend them on physical activity that they wanted to do so just overcome that cost barrier so they could go out and be really independent and they could feel really empowered about the fact that they have their own money and they can do what they want with that so they could spend them three ways so one of them was 
bring in existing provision. No, so bring in new provision into their local communities. So if they wanted to be able to do something that wasn't already there. So for example, one school bought in parkour trainers so that they could learn parkour at lunchtime. Another one was just accessing existing provision. So whatever was there, obviously we spoke and we liaised with organizations and businesses to make sure that teenagers could access them. And it was really well received in the community, to be fair. And then the third way was buying equipment. So they could buy equipment from that. And then, yeah, they could, that would help facilitate physical activity. So that's kind of active in a nutshell. That was like its main aim. And we learned so much from that because it was co-produced right from the start and then all the way through. Like I was talking about those steering groups with the peer mentors they co-produced everything so they were basically saying oh we can't do this with the vouchers we want to do this with the vouchers or can we you know so we constantly were like tweaking things and then you know liaising with different organizations or like bringing the equipment in and all that sort of stuff so they really had like quite a big say in the delivery of the research which was really really cool like having experienced research before that and like what I thought research was then come in and work in a setting that just allowed young people the freedom to design and deliver something that they wanted was amazing and it was so incredible to be a part of so with Active we kind of hoped that we would be able to provide some recommendations on how to get young people more active so that was kind of the main goal but also working out whether this intervention actually worked or not (laughs) so to test the success of it we did like fitness measures we did heart health measures and things like that so and we did focus groups and kind of like questionnaires about their motivation so part of that obviously it worked really well they felt more motivated it completely changed their perceptions of physical activity which is awesome they were fitter and their heart health improved so yeah in terms of that side of the things like the numbers game yeah big tick it worked in terms of like the recommendations then like they were incredible. So we published a paper on it in terms of like the recommendations that teenagers made. Yeah. I think I sent that to you, didn't I? So you've got the link if you want to share it, but yeah, so there was that. So it was things like make activities cost less, make sure that the kind of quality of existing infrastructure was good. It was also about making things fun and sociable, giving them lots of choice as well. Yeah. And then, yeah, so we wanted those recommendations and then we were like, okay, so what, else do we hope to achieve and the kind of overarching main thing to come away from that research is that young people just want more fun unstructured and social activity it was I didn't think so I thought that there would be a good proportion of young people accessing sport with the vouchers not one single teenager paid for sport with their vouchers yeah they all paid for things like going to trampoline parks playing laser tag going to water parks buying equipment going to skate parks and things like that so they were really outside the realms of traditional sports so yeah we were like oh we hope that we achieve some recommendations and then what we did discover was that actually the biggest recommendation of all is really impactful and like a huge thing to be listening to I think so that was really cool so that was active and then obviously we held some like workshops after active to be like, okay, so how can we make this better? How do we improve the longevity of it? And how do we make change as a result of what we found? So outside of like the kind of accessibility thing, there was also the thing of being like local communities need to be really helpful for young people to facilitate activity. So they need to be like, obviously activities need to exist in communities, but also communities need to be welcoming for young people. They need to have like all the right kind of factors for young people to be like, yeah, cool. I'm going to play in my local area. So having listened to teenagers, 
We then have worked with young people to develop an app called Our Place. So this is another line that we're going to, we're pursuing now with the research and what I'm leading on. So we have this app called Our Place and it's talking about the built environment. It's talking about local communities and it's giving young people a chance to like rate and review their local areas. So yeah, being able to put them in like a citizen science approach. So they do all the data collection. They do all the research. Then we basically look at it. Then they would do the analysis and then they would do the dissemination of it and be like, this is what we want. This is what we need. So yeah, we're hoping that we're starting off really small. So at the moment we're just piloting the app, making sure that it works and that there's no bugs, but we want to be able to like roll this out across Wales. So we'd have like a Welsh database of all of the playing spaces across Wales and having young people like rate and reviewed them basically. So that's like the big goal involved in that. One of the other things that I'm really proud of is leading an internship program at the, so I work for the National Centre for Population Health and Wellbeing Research. That's who I'm funded by. An acronym of that is NCPHWR. That's what we normally call it. <laughs> but I thought I'd say it out loud first. So as part of that, we want to kind of have an internship program. And that would have specifically young people be involved in the research. So we would have young people come in. That's whether they've just graduated from university, whether that's they're in school or they're in college. And they just want to look at the processes if they want a bit more experience. So an intern made our place. So it's been like the idea has come from young people, but then the idea has been manufactured and developed by young people, which is a really cool thing to be able to say. So yeah, so now we've got a few more internship opportunities coming up. So hopefully we're going to have an intern that's going to work on the mental health manifesto with you guys, which would be really awesome. So they're going to come in and they're going to lead on that side of things. Then we're having some more internships funded by Play Wales and we're going to look at rolling out our place. We're going to look at making that like a Welsh wide thing. So yeah, so we're now in the process of like having young people like so embedded in our research that I'm going to take a step back (laughs) from being like, I don't know anything they know everything so I'm just going to facilitate an environment that gives them a voice rather than me being like I'm going to interpret what I think you mean does that make sense yeah (laughs) and then the other hat I wear in work so I manage a primary school network so it's a Welsh national primary school network where we look at the health and well-being of primary school aged children across Wales so with that schools fill in a health and well-being survey so all the pupils in years four five and six will fill in a health and well-being survey then we get those findings back we create reports and then we send them back to schools and the idea is is that it empowers schools to make like individual changes to health and well-being policies so again it's like raising the voices of young people like making sure that we're listening to primary school age children when we're like reacting to their wants and needs so schools can just be a bit more informed and in like what they're doing and why they're doing it because there's such huge differences. They're like such like, they're like little spaces in themselves. You know, like one school might be really good for active travel. One school might be really bad for active travel. And it's like trying to like bridge the gap between how do we make these things more balanced and being able to give schools more information about that. So yeah, that's the other hat I wear. But generally like all my projects are very much like raising voices, empowering young people, having young people at the center of them. So that's like a very whistle stop tour (laughs) of all the stuff that I work on. But like, we always just hope to achieve that we have like representation of young people, that it's always taking a proactive approach to health, that we're always like looking at preventing stuff rather than reacting to stuff and just raising voices of young people, basically giving them a platform by which to like speak and say what matters to them. Yeah, that's amazing. Sorry, I feel like that was a lot then. <laughs> it's like I oh. <laughs> I'm absorbing everything you just said. <laughs> like, yeah, take a little drink. Oh, yeah. 
Well, going into, because you spoke about the findings that you had from that, how would you suggest that we go about implementing better ways to get young people staying active? So you've talked about like informing the schools and how you actually, you know, help them and advise them from based on what they said. But just for the young people listening here and for the parents listening, like how, yeah, what would be your suggestions? So my number one thing, which I think is like, I think it's a one word answer really is just listen. So if you're a parent or an adult in this setting, listen to what the young people are telling you because they are the best people to know what they want and need. So just being open to listening and being open to like developing stuff as a result of what they say, it's really tricky because like when I talk about this at conferences and stuff, people are like, oh, but young people don't really know what they want. Oh, young people are just being lazy. Young people don't know. And I'm like, they really do. And the reason that they're lazy is because you're not listening to them. So what you offer isn't what they want. I think, you know, having that whole thing come out from active that like, actually they don't really want sport. There are kids that absolutely want and love sport. Like there's no denying that sport is there for a reason. And some kids thrive in sport, but there's probably a huge proportion of kids that don't like it either just float about in it and then can't wait to leave or just flat out don't engage in it. So being able to like listen and being able to be like, okay, like, you know, I think in school, like listening to, cause when I talk about this, people are like, oh yeah, like I did like rugby, football, netball in the winter. And then I did athletics in the summer and that's never changed. And you're like, why are we not listening to teenagers about the stuff that they actually might want to do? There are absolutely, like I said, like kids that are going to want that love that structure and don't want it to change. But there will be a lot of kids that are like, maybe we could just try walking in PE. Maybe we just try doing something else, you know? So I think, yeah, to cut a long story short, the number one piece of advice I would give to adults is to listen and that they are like older people look, the young people look to adults as like leaders. So for example, like parents are leaders for young people as much as they probably don't want to admit it. Like they are role models for their kids. So anything or any behavior you engage with is more likely going to trickle down to what the young people in your life will do. So don't underestimate the impact you have just day to day by just living (laughs) because there will be young people that are looking to you. So if you're telling them to be active, but aren't active yourself, they will very quickly realize that there's something missing in that. So yeah, just understanding like how impactful you can be. Yeah. 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 So like an exa- a really good example of that, that I can think of is like in primary schools. So you have primary school PE, which is like quite hit and miss, I think sometimes not to dismiss teachers or anything like that. But so say you're like trying to like get a load of like primary school kids enthusiastic about being active, but you're stood at the front in your blazer, shirt, tie and shoes. They're going to be like, but you haven't changed and you're not moving. So why should I? Yeah. (laughs) So like just understanding like how much of a role model you can be, but also like being willing to like listen and understand what they want and need because yeah, a lot of their solutions are super simple, really cheap. And they just want to see some level of change and be feel like they've been valued. So yeah, I think listening. And then my other one would be like, stop being reactive in terms of like, don't wait until the problem's got so bad that you have to fix it. Like start so you don't have to fix it. So 
yeah, try and instill a lifelong love of like playing and being active instead of waiting until adults get to like 60. And then we're like, oh, we've got like a crisis of health and obesity crisis, you know, all this sort of stuff, you know, we could be way more reactive about that from an early age. So yeah. And then, yeah, I think that's pretty much my two bits of advice. I think (laughs) that's really, really good advice because And I think a lot of it actually is about just, I love what you said about listening and being a role model and actually just working as a team, like your children or child and just letting them know that you care about what they want. And even if you can't do it straight away in that minute, I think depending on the age of your kid, like a lot of kids, if they don't get something like immediately, they can like lose heart a little bit. And like, because I've got a daughter and she gets distracted very easily. So if I don't do something immediately, she just doesn't quite understand that maybe it could happen, but on the weekend or Mm. something like that. And actually a lot of the time, like she might ask for like, I don't know, to go to the beach when we're like just about to go to bed or like lots of things. I'm like, well, no, we're like, we can't. It's almost like just there are barriers that come in when you ask some questions and like it's just not possible. And I actually I think I feel guilty sometimes of falling into the thing of just being like, well, just no, we can't do that right now. And actually it's encouraging me to almost like take a mental note of that of being like, okay, right now, definitely not. Because I don't know, X, Y and Z, we need to do this and it's just not practical or it's not or maybe I can't afford to do that amazing thing that she wants to do right now, but we can budget or we can like book that, I don't know, swimming place or that flume thing. She loves going to like Cardiff Bay and stuff, being able to do that on the weekend or when we can and to just like work as a team to, you know, put them into practice when they are like convenient. And yeah, I think absolutely. I think a lot of that, like just like what you're talking about there is like, I think, like there was like a light bulb that went off in my head and like you were talking then in terms of like I think we have a weird hierarchy in terms of like age in society so we have like this thing of being like if you're younger you have to listen to older people and there's no like vice versa so like giving young people a leadership role where you can understand that they have just as much to say as older people do and actually we should flip that hierarchy on its head quite a lot and be like well what do young people want from this because then we'll be able to make better decisions that work for the future as opposed to being like, like just what you're saying, like, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to put a pin in that. And in the future, we'll be able to do that. And then that works for both of us. And that makes this system really good for both of us in terms of what you want. But yeah, like we have such a bizarre hierarchy. You see it day to day, like, oh, I'm older than you. That means I have more weight or I'm older than you. So I get the last say, that sort of stuff. But actually that's not how it works. And, you know, we should be like, flipping that a lot more regularly than we already do and there is amazing pockets of work that are doing it like the work that you're doing is like really flipping that hierarchy around and being like I'm taking a step back as someone that is older than you so just to allow you to have a platform to say what you need to do so yeah there's pockets of work happening we just need it to happen like on a much bigger scale I think we need to happen like as high up as like government you know flip it around yeah you don't know anything. <laughs> they yeah. know a lot more than you. <laughs> yes, 100%. I think also, though, like, I think it is, especially, like, in the home setting between, like, parents and children, it's definitely 
good to find that happy medium that ha- like the balance between like honoring and respecting like both of your wants and I think that sometimes is quite a hard one to juggle whereas like sometimes you can go too far into focusing on your child's needs and wants that you almost abandon neglect your own yeah and then you feel miserable but <laughs> whatever because you're not staying active but then they're staying active and they're okay but you're not but then also it can swing and go the other way whereas like you could be thriving and they could just feel totally ignored and not listened to and so trying to like juggle both is hard yeah absolutely (laughs) I am also like someone to work on (laughs) yeah I'm also really aware that I talk a lot of the time like in a really like I'm such a blue sky thinker so I'm literally like yeah cool like we can make this happen like yeah absolutely so I do acknowledge that it's harder than what I'm saying like we can't just be like you know what well we could we could definitely just be like hey school age teenagers you're teaching us for the day we'll flip roles teachers will sit down you stand up and tell us everything we need but I also realized that there is stuff in place so often I'm like yeah just get it done yeah we'll just change the world like it's so easy to do and then I have to be like okay there is a balance we need to strike sometimes yeah that's so funny have you seen in like you'd love this so in my daughter's school they've brought in this like new thing where I guess more and more schools and more people working with young people are jumping on the bandwagon of this which is amazing and I never had this when I was in school but you know like at the end of a lesson where like teachers would often like do your marking and give you feedback like with every piece of work you always get feedback from the teachers but in my daughter's school now they actually after almost every class they've started saying okay so now we want you to give your feedback on how this lesson was taught and the teacher I know that's amazing actually I love that and so I mean much to the teachers probably joy (laughs) I know I was like this is probably actually a teacher's worst nightmare but I'm like I'm all for this yes absolutely (laughs) have an appraisal with a six-year-old because I'm sure they've got some really savage (laughs) (laughs) and literally but even like almost like the psychology of that of like where children are like oh like I'm brought up and I'm actually asked what I think the teacher like I never would have pulled up a teacher on something ever like no it wasn't really in like it wasn't I don't know something I was aware of that I could do because there is such a like you need to respect authority or you need to stay in your place and that kind of thing and actually breaking through that is like, I think it's harder for maybe those teens who were brought up in that. It's still, like, really common that there is this, like, you know, difference between, like, the superior adult and the child and the child just has to respect authority. Yeah. I think definitely is harder for almost, like, teenagers to realise, oh, it is actually okay to speak up or it's okay to disagree or not think that, I don't know, what an adult might say is the right way to go, especially if it's for, like, their age group. But I think especially the younger, the better. If they're brought up with it and it's drilled into them that actually what they say matters, then I think that's like the best way to go, 100%. Oh, I completely agree. Like imagine just having a thing of being like, what I say is important. Like, oh, you'd have a generation of kids that were like, no, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in and I'm going to speak out when I don't agree with things. And yeah, it would be, oh my God, that would be amazing. I love that idea. That's amazing. It is. Yeah, I love that as well. And I think that's why, like, how school it is, just I really respect the, the way that they are 
training the teachers and constantly updating the way they approach kids and the way that they teach and the, the way and like just bringing in new things like that yeah it's just yeah a, a good school that's <laughs> so, really cool I love that anyway this is meant to really be about you <laughs> <laughs> no I really love that <laughs> on the back of what you're saying so this quote is perfect fit into this conversation that we've just had that you wrote in your piece of writing titled laser tag trampolining and water parks what teenagers told us would make them more active so you said working with young people instead of acting for them could be the change needed to get them more active in school and in the community but is there anything else you wanted to do in unpicking that sentence and suggesting how we like collectively can do that better Yeah, I guess, so it's like, yeah, touching on what I've said, really. I think we have to kind of have more like respect for the fact that young people do know what they want and that they do have suggestions, they do have recommendations and that they do have value and that their feedback or their suggestions and things like that have so much weight to it. And actually, you know, the fact that we are still seeing trends in like decreases in mental health, we're still seeing trends of like obesity increasing, we're still seeing all these trends that historically have just happened since like the beginning of time, I guess. Like, I don't like, you know, like when did they start? Like, it's just constantly been like a downward trend of like all these things happening. And, and it's because I think we've spent so much time trying to like guess or we've been like oh I'm an adult I know what's best you know like the people that are delivering the stuff or making big decisions are like okay well obviously as an older person I know what they want and then we just end up spending a lot of time like acting for people without understanding like is it the right thing does it have value for them so yeah just going back to that kind of like flip the hierarchy on the head understand that young people do have stuff to say that they do have valuable input and then allowing them to make decisions and like allow like space to work directly with them, you know, and that can be like really simple ways. Like you, that example you gave is like quite a straightforward one. Yeah. It's probably really testing for a teacher, but you know, like being like, okay, now it's your turn to give me feedback. Did you like that? What could have been done better? You know, it can be done in that, like in PE, it could be a case of what do you want to do? Like what, what do you want to try? Like, how do we work out? Like, how we group this, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, so it's, it can start off like super small in terms of like working with pe- young people. And then, yeah, it can just get bigger and bigger as it shows that it works and that it's actually making valuable change. But yeah, I think it's just, I think there needs to be like some level of change in that and just understanding that adults aren't necessarily the most smart people on this planet there's a lot to learn from young people I think yeah even in just having that posture of learning of like I don't know I when I was younger I kind of had this like assumption that adults just know everything I didn't even like question it I was just like well they would know everything and things like that whereas actually just even being approachable and to be like actually we're learning every day about the world about you about you know everything that we do we are yeah yeah absolutely I think that's exactly right (laughs) yeah so for young people listening into this podcast what would you say to them ah so that they are leaders like you are leaders too like you should have the space to be leaders so even if you're not like 
you know, like I think leader can be, again, one of those terms where you think being a leader means you have to have like a title or you have to be like directly leading a team. But actually just by being who you are can lead a group of individuals to more positive action. So there's a phrase that me and my friend use that I really love and it's called like being a lighthouse. So you're basically there to shine super brightly for other people to look to, whether that's to look to in terms of, you know, keeping you safe or whether that's to look to in terms of inspiration or whether you're just, you're just there to be a beacon of light for people that need it. And you can be a leader just by being yourself and just by being like a lighthouse basically. So for young people, it's just the case of like, don't underestimate your value as a human, just because you have a lower number than someone else on their birth certificate doesn't mean that you have more or less value in this world. Like you have a lot to contribute. So speak up when you feel like you can. If you don't feel like you can speak up, make try and find space to speak up or like facilitate some way of speaking up. And yeah, just understand that you are a lighthouse and that you can be a leader as much as an adult can be a leader. Yeah, that's so good. And even with, I was just thinking how, if you're not used to that or if you're, still haven't grown in confidence you know like a lot of these things actually just take practice don't they and so even just practicing the ability to like start using your voice and showing up in places that you wouldn't previously think you could do and actually I would just encourage people as well not to think that they will immediately just get there just like you know just with a click and be like okay so mindset change I'm gonna do it Mm. working towards it and practicing using your voice and speaking up is you know a great place to start yeah it just like and it can just start with like one person like your best friend like just say what's on your mind or like you know you can challenge them it's really difficult to challenge your closest people in your life but they say something you don't necessarily agree with you can ask them why you can ask for an explanation but equally like it can just start with like the people in your closest circle you know just be a leader in that space and then eventually it all like seep out into the world and yeah I think a lot of the time when we talk about change we think of it as being like this massive you know like world changing thing that has to happen and the reality is is that lots of small actions contribute to big change so if you're being a beacon of light for five people someone in that group of five might be a beacon of light for 10 people those 10 people might be a beacon of like for 50. Do you know what I mean? And then you can see how that becomes like a big change as opposed to being like, oh, I have to make this world break in like speech and I have to have 50,000 followers on Instagram for change to happen. No, like you can do it in your circle of friends. Yeah, I love that so much. That's amazing. And what would you say to parents? I'm just going to go back to like, listen, like yeah just you know be open to listening to young people and also like just having a little bit of empathy for the fact that like it's really hard right now to be it's really hard right now to be a human like let alone being a young person like trying to like make like trying to like pave the way to what your future looks like you know, like if we had just a little bit more, you know, like we were all young people as well. And I think we're really quick to demonize young people. Like when I've spoken at conferences and people have been like, oh, you, they're just lazy. And then I'm like, but what would you have said if an adult had said that to you when you were a teenager? Like, would you have said something back? Like, you know, I think it's just like remembering that 
people have feelings and they're all valid but just having like a level of empathy to be like you know what like yeah I was there we're all there (laughs) we're all trying to just navigate this world and you know we are like post pandemic now so we're trying to like learn from that and we're trying to you know, like I would say, like from my own experience, like I can't quantify it. I, I, I'm trying to quantify it in my research, but like young people have probably been one of the hardest hit groups in the pandemic. Like imagine being in year 11 and then being told you're not going to take GCSEs this year, but we don't know what that's going to look like. You're never going back to school again, but we don't know what that's going to look like for you. Also, we don't know what's happening with your college now because we don't know what's happening with your exams. Equally, like being in year 13 and being like, yeah, like uni might not happen for you now. Like, and all of these things have suddenly become outside, so outside of your control. And now we're having like a period of trying to mitigate for all this confusion and anxiety and weird pressure. And yeah, like I think empathy would go a long way in terms of like realizing that we've all been hit hard. There's no question, but like young people just had stuff happen to them and had to accept it. And yeah, I think the more empathetic we can feel and the more that we can listen to young people, I think, yeah, that would be my advice for parents, I think. And for those who are like, are particularly struggling to, you know, go out or even join, go to school or join any kind of group activity and things. Do you have any tips of like just little things that you could do to recover from maybe like anxiety or low self-esteem oh it's, yeah it's really like it's really hard because like I don't want to end up being like oh it'll be okay it'll be okay just like breathe and you'll be fine like it is really difficult like no one should kind of devalue the fact that you know low self-esteem and not feeling like you're a part of something like how difficult that is and how difficult it is to come out of that but like just exploring stuff unapologetically that works for you and if you start off doing that solo but it works for you just dive into it and like don't apologize like as in like if like not doing sport for example like if you need to like not do sport with your friends but the reality is you need to go for a walk by yourself like that's your thing then go do that and then eventually like that might lead to you wanting to get back into something else or you know but yeah it's and talk try and like share those feelings with someone because you know if you can talk to someone it doesn't have to be a pair it doesn't have to be a friend it could be anyone but like share those feelings and then you can get more people to like help facilitate whatever you need but yeah talking trying to communicate taking time for yourself like thing with anxiety and stuff is that like your feelings are valid like anxiety is valid you can sit with it and you can like absorb those emotions sit those emotions breathe like one of the greatest things about being human is that we feel emotions so deeply so experience them like you know but try and share them with someone else because it might help you but equally it might help someone else that whole thing so yeah my advice would be just try and share and talk and then do things for you yeah oh thank you so much for that no you're so welcome so what is your mental health manifesto ah so know your value is my mental health manifesto. Like it's something I have to say all the time, all the time to myself, like know what 
you contribute to the world just by existing. So like understand that every day you just go about being yourself is another day that someone else's day is made completely brighter by your existence. So like, even just like you saying hi to a friend for them that, you know, that's huge. So like knowing your worth, knowing what you contribute and knowing like what makes you the best version of you. So for me, it's like being outside, going to the sea, going for walks, that sort of stuff. And then doing those things so that I can be the best version for, of myself, for other people and knowing my value when I do those things. So allowing myself like time and space to do those things that make me the best version of me. But so, yeah, so my, it will look like different for everyone, but my mental health manifesto is basically like know your value and know what contributes to your value so that you can do more of it and be the best version of you. Yeah, I love that so much. That's so good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the last question. If you could go back and say anything to your younger self, what would you say? This is such a poignant question for me because I have just, so in my coaching role, I've just set up like a kind of girls only class, like a teenage girls only class. So I get them to come to the gym once a week and we just do stuff that makes them feel more confident and empowers them. And yeah, so that's like, it's for teenage girls only, but we do lots of like really cool stuff. So we do lots of climbing and jumping assault courses, all this sort of stuff, like moving heavy objects and things. So I started a podcast that they could listen to. And one of the questions I ask on that podcast when I have other people on there is, what three things would you say to your younger self? So when you asked this question, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, I love how this has gone like fully full circle for me. It's amazing. So The thing I would say to my younger self, and it seems to be like an overarching theme with everyone I talk to is be yourself, (laughs) like lean into who you are and just be yourself. Like it's really hard when you're young because you want to be like a bit of a social chameleon. You don't want to like tread on anyone's toes. You don't want to upset the status quo. You just want to kind of like, most people just want to sink into a group and just exist in that group. But be yourself because there are people out there that will love you for being yourself as opposed to people that just have you in their life. Does that make sense? So be yourself for all your quirks and all your flaws, which you think are quirks and flaws, but someone else will be like, no, they're incredible. Even things like, yeah, if you like a certain type of music, double down on liking that certain type of music, like don't apologize for it. If you want to dress a certain way, dress a certain way, but just be yourself. Cause I wish I had done more of that when I was younger. Definitely. That's amazing. And I can tell that that is kind of like your mantra because I just feel like you have said that maybe not in those exact words, but it almost like you've been able to rephrase like majority of your answers in a way that literally echoes everything you just said. And I just, (laughs) it should be like, you just, you're like beaming from just everything that I know you believe. And I think that is like powerful. Thank you. I'm just, Yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Compassionate Conversations Series 2. You can find us on Single Parents Wellbeing. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in to our next episodes. See you soon.